The following commentary does not necessarily reflect the views of the staff and management of WBCA or Boston Neighborhood Network. If you would like to express another opinion, you can address your comments to Boston Neighborhood Network, 3025 Washington Street, Boston, Massachusetts, 02119. To arrange a time for your own commentary, you can call WBCA at 617-708-3241, or you can email radio at bnntv.org. like this my friend Aaron Teo Lee that's him that's pumping that's his song he wrote it and he's allowing us to use it and I thank you so much um, he's an amazing amazing musician he's actually originally from Boston but he doesn't live here anymore so shout out to him um, I don't have a picture of this person but um, recently I was informed that one of my former students passed away and he was only 37 so Devin Phillips Shout out to you, my Grenada, son of Grenada, spiritual son. Um, prayers and everything to you. Uh, with this show, On Another Level, I'm your host, Sharon Hinton. It's sort of a smorgasbord. If any of you have had like a buffet and you can eat a little bit of this, a little bit of that, that's what we're doing tonight. We're live. We're going to be taking phone calls. There's a whole lot of stuff happening. This is the one show that I'm doing in October. I usually have two every other week, but we had Indigenous Peoples Day. Some of y'all consider it Columbus Day. We're not doing that. And did it People's Day. And so I didn't have a show then. So this show is a combination of things. We're going to be talking about the election that is coming up November 8th. We're going to be talking about several different productions. I mean, I almost feel like I'm in Black History Month right now, even though it's October. There was a play that I went to see last night. Phenomenal. Maybe one of the actors or people will call in. I talked to them last night. There's a movie that came out about Emmett Till. We're going to talk a little bit about that. There is also a letter that came out that went to the attention of the newly um, in office uh, Superintendent Mary Skipper of the Boston Public Schools. And we're going to talk about breast cancer. We've got a whole lot of stuff and it's going to be more better once you come on to another level with me, Sharon Hinton, your host, and 1955. 1955 was the year I was born. And later on, in but I was born in March. Later on in March is when Emmett Till, 14-year-old, was murdered, lynched and murdered. There's a movie out called Till. It just came out. Um, sometimes I have to think about whether or not I'm actually going to go see these movies, but I support films and documentaries and stories about uh, us, especially when it has a historical reference and it may be something that's not really taught or taught correctly or taught at all 
um, in the schools. And so I'm an educator, I'm a teacher. Um, I sort of have a different rating of movies, like, you know, not stars and Rotten Tomatoes and stuff like that. My ratings are go to the movie and spend the money and support the movie. Um, wait until uh, in the beginning, like the first two weeks or the first day. Then it's wait until it's been out for a while. You know, if it's and then it's um, wait till it comes on, you know, an OTT platform like Netflix or something like that. Or wait until it's on free TV or don't watch it at all. Like don't waste your time or money. Till is a must see. The actress who is the lead in this movie, if she doesn't get an Oscar nomination or Academy Award, I don't know what. She's amazing. That story, because I grew up in the 50s and I am a child of that era, 50s, 60s, all that, the civil rights and everything, I remember that. And because my father was a civil rights activist, I grew up during that and knowing that and the black consciousness of that. Um, so I wasn't sure if I wanted to be traumatized or if I was going to be traumatized or whether or not it was worth it because I read stories, seen the documentaries, the whole thing is like, ah, eh, do I want to see one more thing where a person of color is murdered? How graphic is this going to be? So I will tell you, this movie is a must see movie. It's from the perspective of his mom, Emmett, Emmett Till's mother. Um, and it tells the side of the story that I hadn't heard, even though I've heard, I've seen and heard her voice and in interviews by her, it's a different take. And it really humanizes Emmett Till in terms of he was someone's son. He was someone's son. He wasn't just um, another person that was murdered by racist down south. I mean, he was. But if you um, really know the story and you really see what happened and what transpired in terms of the civil rights movement, because that same year was when Rosa Parks actually decided she was going to sit down and she wasn't going to move to the back of the bus. All this stuff was happening in 1955. So it's a must see. It's not, um, it does not show the violence of what happened to him. So you can actually bring younger people and children to this. Um, it's a must see no matter who you are. And so I'm highly recommending to go see Till. And I played this piece here so you can see some of the historical reference. Now that being said, another play, this is a play, another, th that was a movie, Till is a movie, is a movie, it's in the movies now. The play that I saw, and I'm gonna put up the book, but I'm also gonna ask Katie to put up the screenshot. Joe Turner's Come and Gone, August Wilson, an amazing, he's gone and passed now, an amazing black playwright. This play um, opened up last night in a special, a special performance called The Blackout. And so The Blackout was a special invitation, specially invited performance for people who were people of color of the diaspora last night at the Huntington Theater. The Huntington Theater has actually done this major renovation. And so I am uh, one of the people that goes out to plays and performances and stuff like that. That's what I'd like, that's what I do. My parents opened that up to me and then the educational venues that they opened up to me also were above and beyond what um, black people could either get into and be exposed to, especially in Boston. And so my father made a point and my mother made a point, my grandparents made a point of um, experiencing things and doing 
activities or being in places that weren't typically something that a Negro, and that was a step up from another word that we ain't gonna use tonight. However, um, August Wilson, this play at the Huntington Theater, it's gonna be there until I think November 13th. August Wilson, Joe Turner's Come and Gone, is directed by Lily Ann Brown and uh, Norma, Loretta Greco, Norma Jean Calder, Calderwood, Calderwood, I'm sorry, Calderwood Artistic Director, Michael Masso, Managing Director. This play, you have to see this play. Now, last night with the blackout, um, some of you don't, well, you don't know because I didn't tell you, but I'm about to tell you now. I just recently come from Atlanta. I love Hotlanta and I love Atlanta with all the beautiful black people. And it just was like, it was something I needed from dealing with racist Boston. I mean, I'm just keeping it real. I go to places and spaces where I feel reaffirmed and feel loved by my people and supported by my people. So my daughter and I went to Atlanta. We were enjoying a great time. Going down on the plane, everyone was, hi, how you doing? How you doing? Coming back to Boston, all of a sudden people started getting rude and cold. And I was like, I'm not having it. So when we came back, a good friend of mine, Suzanne McGlone, who's a school teacher, told me, who's not black, told me about this opportunity and sent me the link. And you could pay as much as you could afford and go to this play. So I went to this play at the Huntington Theater. It is phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. The ensemble, the acting, the design, the set design, the way they have renovated the Huntington Theater. There's no bad seat in the house. Um, and so for those of you who have been in movies like Till or Black Panther or a musical, a concert, and the majority of the audience is people of color, it's a different experience. My cousin, who's black, uh, lived in the West Coast for a long period of time. And when he came back, to Boston, he went to a movie and it was majority black audience and it's like a revival. Like we talk back to the screen, we talk to the characters, we're cracking jokes. When I go see a movie and it's majority black audience or black topic, I usually have to go see it twice. I go because of the audience reaction and it's really, it's a spiritual, it's an it's a experience. And then I go because I didn't hear everything because people were talking over it, right? So recently I went to a play at the Emerson Cutler Theater, Drum Folk, and that was a, a um, stepping, um, stepping musical dancing interactive drum performance. Amazing. So that's why I feel like I'm in Black History Month. Although those of us who are black, it's 365. So we're not waiting just for February or Juneteenth. So I love the fact that these productions are coming here and I don't have to wait to a specific time of the year. Drum Folk is now gone. The Emerson Theaters are doing, they're doing some amazing programming and production. And if you don't support it, and don't spend your money, guess where they won't come? They won't come to Boston. Right now, I mean, I have to read the people in the cast. So the person that paid, played Seth Hawley, Maurice Emanuel Parent, Bertha Hawley, Shannon Lamb, Bynum Walker, Robert Cornelius, Rutherford Seelig, Louis D. Wheeler, Jeremy Furlow is Stuart Evan Smith, Harold Loomis, James Millard, Zonia, Loomis, there's two actresses, um, Gray Flaherty, Orlana Ross, Molly Cunningham is Dela Mesquinha, 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 I'm so sorry if I messed up your name, 
Ruben Mercer, there are also two actors. The, the, where the, there are two actors' names, um, those actors are young, so they have to switch them out. Um, Ellie LaPay and Joshua McKenna. Maddie Campbell is Alnisa Petty. Martha Pentecost is Patrice D. McLean. And then there are understudies. The setting is in August 1911, a boarding house in Pittsburgh. And it's an August Wilson play. You can support more artists, artistry like this and expose our students, I'm a teacher, so that you can talk about more than Shakespeare. We have our own Shakespeare's. And one of them is August Wilson. And we've actually had other black play playwrights that were actually here and artists that are here. Um, there was a pre-reception um, that was sponsored by Aqua Holmes, my, my dear, dear, dear friend, an amazing artist. She is one of the, the, the jewels of Boston who is, um, I've known her since we were teenagers and she has, she's just world changing. Um, so she had that. And then, so August Wilson's Joe Turner's Come and Gone, um, October 27th to, see, the Huntington Student Matinee Series, October 27th at 10 a.m. and November 4th at 10 a.m. All the other performances are 7 p.m. Um, I got to meet some of the actors, Bl blew me away, blown away. And the other thing about live theater, and hopefully Haywood Fennell will call in tonight and talk about his particular production that is coming up that is amazing. Um, Haywood is an amazing jewel of Roxbury. He's a playwright. He is an artist. He's a writer. He is a poet. Um, he's written books. Um, and he actually has this production about the Harlem Renaissance that is coming up in November. So hopefully he'll call. And it's going to be performed at Roxbury Community College. There it is. The Harlem Renaissance at Roxbury Community College. Only two nights in November. Um, the artwork that you see, I'm, I'm jumping back and forward between um, August Wilson's Joe Turner's Come and Gone. The artwork on the front of this playbill is actually Aqua Holmes. Aqua Holmes. She, she, uh, amazing. Absolutely amazing. Joe Turner's Blues, playwright August Wilson. And I'll just read a piece of this. Playwright August Wilson drew often on the blues for the nuanced history of black Americans contained in its songs. In this play, his choice of Joe Turner blues references Tennessee principal, pr excuse me, Tennessee prison official Joe Turney, brother of then governor Peter Turney. Joe Turney ran a network for convict leasing, a state sanctioned system of exploitation where prison officials were paid in exchange for labor from black men incarcerated on minor or false charges. This often led to illegal peonage using the loophole of the 13th Amendment to put a newly free population back in bondage. Historian Leon Litwack's book Trouble in Mind explains that the song's lyrics portray how sudden police raids disappeared countless men. When, quote, when a man turned up missing in the community, the words quickly spread. They tell me Joe Turner's come and gone. Family members were left to mourn for the missing. So, so it gives you a context of the song and where the song comes from. But the, you just got to go see it. It's in a boarding house. It's an, well, it's, I can't say all black cast because it isn't. But it is definitely a black theme. It's, different, it's definitely a piece of our history that a lot of people don't know about. And then in addition, if you want to do some additional research, there are documentaries about the 13th Amendment, the 13th um, slavery by another name, 
the <laughs> this school system is not necessarily going to tell you the things that you need to know to understand who you are. If you're African American, if you're a native born, if you're from this country, or if you're coming from a country and don't know the history of the people who are already here, and you're of color, or you're not. And so you're doing yourself a disservice, and you're doing your children a disservice if you don't understand the richness of African Americans. So Joe Turner's come and gone. Um, November 13th, I think, is the last day, and uh, got to go see it. I went to see The Woman King. I paid the money. <clears throat> it was problematic for me, um, and I'd be interested to see what people think about it. I know I spoke to some male friends of mine, former students, and, and they had issues too. But, um, and then I already bought my tickets for Wakanda Forever. Wakanda Forever, November 11th. People are talking about bringing drums. Anybody that went to Black Panther, you know, people last night were talking about, because I went to the play last night, People last night were talking about, I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to wear. And there are special nights, just like last night was the blackout for Joe Turner's Come and Gone. There are people and organizations that are setting aside a night to go see Wakanda forever. Um, when I went, <laughs> they had drums and African dancers, and it was an experience. I mean, it was an experience that, that um, was like no other. I don't know if this one is going to be like that. Um, there's also this movie, uh, Black Adam. I like Dwayne the Rock. I don't know if I'm gonna. I don't know if that's gonna be up on my, you know, go and spend my money in the movie. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. We're gonna take a break and come right back and talk about some more stuff. Information to build a nation on on another level. We'll be right back. In 1965, President Lyndon Baines Johnson signed the Voting Rights Act bringing down one of the last legal vestiges of Jim Crow segregation. Just five days later, an altercation between an unarmed black man and the police sparked riots on the streets of Watts, a predominantly black neighborhood in Los Angeles. The riots revealed that America still faced deep racial issues. And in the coming years, urban unrest roiled cities across the nation. Dr. King's message of nonviolence wore thin as the 1960s progressed, uh, particularly because violence is everywhere. As race relations deteriorated, Stokely Carmichael, a young, charismatic, electrifying speaker, was searching for a new way to reframe the civil rights struggle. And he found it through one resonant metaphor. It's time we stand up and take over. Don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed. We want black power. We want black power. We want black power. The civil rights movement had been extraordinarily successful, but there has not necessarily been the tangible transformation in black people's living conditions. Carmichael is making an argument that only black power will take black people to that next level. Hey, what do you want? That's what we're going to get. The effect is electrifying. Soon after, black power groups were organizing across the country, each with their own idea about what the phrase actually meant. You had everybody from those that are saying, yes, let's go for elected office, to those that say, let's overthrow the government. It called for self-determination. It called for 
an end to nonviolence is the only strategy of the black movement. Looking back, black power marked a startling shift in the civil rights movement and in the evolution of black consciousness. Black power is really going to inspire a whole new wave of black elected officials and inspire the black arts movement using culture to transform what we think of as black identity, proud, strong black women and men. Black, the word that for decades so many African-Americans most dreaded being called, almost overnight became both a battle cry and a badge of honor. So that talks about black power. You know, we all, I'm black. I love my black people. I had a black dog. He passed away this year, but my daughter's black, my husband's black. You know, I love being black. I love my black people. So tonight, in the spirit of these wonderful plays that I've seen, Tell Joe Turner's coming gone. Excuse me, Joe Turner's coming gone. Till um, Wakanda Forever coming up. And a pending, you know, in, in, in and also Harlem Renaissance, which will be coming up um, before I actually have my next show. So that's why I'm putting this into the smorgasbord of what is happening tonight. And we're going to take phone calls later on. But um, there's also a controversy that's happening around black educators in the city of Boston. Let me, let me read this letter that was sent to Mary Skipper, who at that time was the incoming superintendent. Uh, August 24th of this year, 2022. It's kind of long, but I'm going to go through it. Please bear with me. Dear Superintendent Skipper, we are reaching out to you due to a concern that is very troubling and disappointing. That is the, that is the racism is still a constant and accepted practice within Boston public schools. Several district leaders of color have recently been subjected to IMS, which is investigatory meetings, and placed on administrative leave pending the final outcome of their hearings. Over the course of this past school year, there have been several individuals, all of color, who have experienced this type of personnel action. Two have resigned rather than go through this humiliating process. This has caused us to reflect on the consistent pattern of behavior that the district has used to terminate and destroy the reputation of a number of former and current black and brown BPS employees by the use of the IM. IM is investigatory meetings. This consistent use of IMs has mostly impacted school leaders of cover, color over the years. We find the recent occurrence to be highly suspect and racist given the history. Just the appearance alone raises concerns that these cases have targeted black and brown female and male employees who were identified as threatening. The district's use of weaponizing IMs is disturbing in that it sends a message to other employees of color who are speaking out or might want to speak out against issues they feel are unfair. These cases seem to be orchestrated and intentional, primarily to deliver a message of fear and intimidation a message that you will be discredited and destroyed if you speak out against racist and ineffective policies and procedures, excuse me, policies and practices. We are fearful that if nothing is set, said or done,
that this pattern of behavior will continue even when some former black and brown employees have successfully gone to court and have won their cases, the damage has already been done. Fear and intimidation are all too familiar components of racism. We ask that you investigate the use of IMs with racial breakdowns and outcomes and demand that Boston Public Schools end this racist pattern of behavior of using IMs as a means to intimidate and silence black and brown school leaders. Investigatory meetings must be initiated with just cause, used properly and fairly, and not as a racist mechanism to terminate and intimidate. There should be a review board established that has some type of oversight that safeguards against the misuse and abuse of personal practices that result in disparate targeting of staff of color disproportionately, black and brown. The hearing officer for IMs cannot be the same person who investigates and reports to the attorney who presents the case for the district. Due process should be accorded to every case and all racial biases and discrimination eliminated and any conflict of interest be immediately identified as a concern that must be addressed. Now this letter was signed by Concerned Educators of Color. Let me see if I can get the other people's name. Concerned Educators of Color Albert Holland, a friend of mine, some of us call Albie, Muriel Leonard, Michael Rubin, Beatrice McConney Zapater, Jane Skelton, Ronald Spratling, Myrna Vega Wilson, Carol Blake, Barbara Fields, Suzanne Lee, Bak Fung Wong, Phil Jackson, Edith Bazil, Chuck McAfee, and Craig Lankhorst. I'm sorry, Lankhorst. This letter was released and, um, by Schoolyard News, Alan Jelaine. It was released last week. The letter was actually sent to Mary Skipper in, in August, but she was not the, she was, she was hired as the superintendent, but she wasn't installed as the actual superintendent. She is now the current superintendent of Boston Public Schools. And so we are waiting, awaiting all of us. Black Teachers Matter, which uh, I'm the founder and executive director of, in addition to Black Educators Alliance of Massachusetts, there are other organizational um, concerns, organizations who are concerned about this pattern of behavior. Uh, we have the evidence and we're waiting to see. I know that there are six individuals who have specifically been targeted. I have not been given permission by them to say their names um, because of what is happening legally and strategically. And so, if you are concerned and you're thinking about black teachers, black administrators in this letter and ask the questions, what is going on at Boston Public Schools when it comes to black educators and black administrators and black teachers? We're gonna take a short break, talk about the history of black studies because guess what? It's not just BPS, but it's the University of Massachusetts. They are also having an issue with the Africana Studies Department. In addition to Chicago filing a class action lawsuit on behalf of the black and brown teachers in Chicago, 10,000 of them, and the, 20, the 35 teachers in Atlanta who've been fighting for seven years to keep from going to jail for 25 years, supposedly because they fixed grades on standardized tests. My name is Sharon Hinton. This is On Another Level. Check out this other information. We'll be right back. 
following Dr. King's tragic assassination, black student activism swept college campuses from coast to coast. Fueled by the black power movement, African-American students would revolutionize American higher education, demanding the admission of more black students, the hiring of more black faculty, and the creation of an entirely new academic field, black studies. Black power was transformative in speaking about radical black dignity and citizenship and raising black consciousness. They criticized white supremacy and really criticized white privilege and white people. And that spread throughout the United States and globally in the 1960s. One key aspect of the black power movement was the call for self-determination. To many young black people, this meant taking control of their education moving the history of African-Americans in this country from the margins to the center. By the time we hit the late 1960s, there are more numbers of black students who begin to enter campuses as a result of the activism that is taking place in the rest of the country. Stokely Carmichael is really the biggest activist who participated in both civil rights and black power during the 60s. He was a freedom writer and sat in on lunch counters. He knew Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., went to jail 27 times between 1961 and 1966. Stokely and the black power movement really helped transform the black student movement into a black studies movement that is demanding black history be taught at all universities and even high schools. In 1968, protests erupted at San Francisco State College. The school's Black Student Union launched a massive student strike that lasted five months. San Francisco State in 1968 is a game changer because these are protesters who are disciplined but at the same time are ready to confront the police. Students are gonna be arrested and they are determined to transform San Francisco State. The success of the San Francisco State College strike would spread to nearly 200 other colleges across the country. The results of the student protests led to the recruitment of more brown and black students, the hiring of black professors and administrators, and the creation of black studies departments. I remember where certain places you couldn't go. They would tell you, you ain't supposed to be in here, or would keep the door locked, and you couldn't get in there, or it wasn't even on the shelf. Um, we assume that if you go to a school that costs you a lot of money, or has high scores, that you will get a full education. That's not the case. And so when you hear these buzz terms of critical race theory, if you understand what that's about, it's talking about teaching history, the real history of everyone in this country, of all Americans in this country, to get a well-rounded sense of who built this country, the history in this country. You cannot go to Germany and not know about Nazi Germany. And they're not putting statues up to Hitler like they do down south with Confederate generals who were traitors. These people seceded from the Union split the country and were killing American citizens. These are some of the same people with the Confederate flags that stormed 
the walls of the Capitol on January 6th. Don't get it twisted. You may like the flag, but if you understand what that stands for, you have to understand when somebody used the N-word. It's not just a rap song lyric. It is a painful, there's a painful history behind these terms. Um, we're going to take some phone calls for the rest of the program. And for anybody who's actually seen Joe Turner's Come and Gone or part of that, for anybody that um, has a comment about Till and Emmett Till, um, there's still some more information I want to give you uh, uh, about what's coming up. There's an election coming up. There are ballot questions. There's four ballot questions that are coming up. In some places in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, there are five, depending on where you registered to vote. If you understand some of the painful history about being a Negro, colored, African-American, black person, whatever, in this country, then you know that getting voting rights and people dying, marching for voting rights, civil rights, was about people who were born in this country being denied their rights as an American citizen. We are still fighting for that. When you hear voter suppression, that's about taking votes away from people of color. One of the ballot votes is talking about giving licenses to people who are undocumented citizens. That's question number four. There were four questions. You should be registered to vote and then go vote November 8th. Don't call yourself woke and you don't vote. It just doesn't make any sense. The other thing I wanted to bring up, and this was not planned for tonight, but I was at Brigham and Women's Hospital and there's a program from the Dana-Farber Brigham and Women's Hospital Cancer Center about a B-PREP program, Breast Cancer Personalized Risk Assessment Education and Prevention Program. Why is that important? It's important because more black women have been diagnosed with uh, fibroid tumors. And I don't have the information in front of me because I hadn't really planned that for tonight. And we're going to get to a phone call in a second. But more black women die from breast cancer and are misdiagnosed in breast cancer. My mother um, had cancer three times and breast cancer twice. And so I'm a person that's had to, take a, had to do a mammogram since I was 30 every year. But the practices were to not let you actually have a mammogram until you got much older, 40, 45. And I actually found some stuff, thank God, that were benign. And that's why one of the reasons I can be here in front of you. You have to be proactive. Black women in this country, no matter what your demographic is in terms of socioeconomic factors, whether or not you're wealthy or well-to-do or well-educated, in childbirth, we die three times the rate of white women. And we die as if we were in a country that had no hospitals. Do you hear me? So how can you reduce your risk of breast cancer? You got to know. You got to know what it is. You got to know some of the lifestyle changes that you have to do, exercise. Some of this stuff is it's never too late to start. All those studies show that the more exercise you do over your whole life, the lower your risk of breast cancer may be. Cancer risk is lower even when women start to exercise as adults or after menopause. How much exercise? At least 150 minutes of moderate exercise, like brisk, brisk, brisk walking, has been linked to lower breast cancer. Limit sitting time. Our lifestyle right now is so sedentary because of Zoom and COVID and everything, but women who sit more 
seem to have a higher risk of developing breast cancer, even if they exercise. Remember to get up and take a walk around the room. Consider a standing desk at work and make sure that you move frequently during the day. And then excess weight has been linked to an increased risk of developing breast cancer, especially after menopause. Studies show that younger women who are heavier, did you hear what I said? Younger women who are heavier may also have a higher risk of developing more aggressive types of breast cancer as compared to leaner women. Some evidence Evidence shows that women who are obese, typically at least 30 to 40 pounds overweight, who undergo weight loss surgery may lower the risk of breast cancer. Keeping your wealth, keeping your weight, excuse me, keeping your weight in a healthy range is an important part of keeping yourself healthy and avoiding breast cancer. I want to take some, oh, eat your veggies, Mediterranean diet, and limit alcohol. I want to take some phone calls. I got a caller here. Caller, um, tell me your name and where you're calling from and your question or comment, please. Hi, this is Barbara. Hi, Barbara. Hi, I'm calling from Boston, and I'm calling to uh, follow follow up on something that you had a little bit earlier. It was regarding Stokely Carmichael's Black Power. Now, when he came out with that, he was calling for a certain kind of action in the 1960s. Is that something that you think we should go back to? My God. <laughs> So you and I are old enough. This is my friend, Barbara Barrow-Murray, former studio manager here at BNN Media, um, who is also an Emmy Award, producing, Emmy Award producer, Say Brother. And she actually has a radio program and a program here at BNN Media. Um, do I think, I don't think we ever really left it. I mean, I, I, I know that this government um, still has Mumia Abu-Jamal uh, locked up. It still has black activists locked up. The last time I checked, Asada Shakur is still number one on the FBI's most wanted list in Cuba. Um, some of us have never left from it, but we've had to sort of go underground because of the tactics that were used by this government and infiltrating black organizations. Uh, it was a necessary move. I think that we've lost a lot of the momentum um, I think, you know, George Floyd and a lot of the protests that happened, that was a resurgence of what you and I were talking about in terms of people organizing. I don't think it's gone away. Uh, I think, you know, by any means necessary, some tactics are uh, strategically beneficial and some we need to discard because it opened us up to being murdered and killed and incarcerated and stuff like that. So that's a bigger question than what do you think? Well, <clears throat> I think quite a few things. Some I'm willing to discuss now and some I'm not. Um, I want to do a follow-up question, and that is, it was recommended to me uh, in a phone call by one of the BMPG producers, uh, Boston Media Producers Group, of which you're the president, um, that we organized ourselves, and this is not just a BMPG group, but all media producers in the city. We galvanized and organized ourselves to create workshops where we, we share and teach information and start to put our minds together and strengthen ourselves and become real activists, teaching each other about the past as well as how to prepare for the future. What do you think about that? And that's absolutely essential. And um, 
I know you know, but a lot of people don't know that what we take for granted now was actually start, started by the Black Panther um, Party for Self-Defense, um, Head Start. We take Head Start for granted. We take the Early Breakfast Program for granted. We take free health care for granted, but that was started by the Black Panther Party. Um, we, t we take a lot of the, um, and, and the government co-opted it and, and acted like they just came up with it, but that's not true. Um, organizing, I'm, I actually met Stokely Carmichael. Um, when he had ch I met Stokely Carmichael in D.C. years ago, and he had changed his name already to Kwame Ture. And I asked him that, what do you think black folks need to do? Because it seems like we're still catching hell, like what's going on? And he said, organize, organize, organize. I'm an organizational animal. I formed five organizations, and three of them tried to kill me, but I still think we have to organize. So I absolutely think that we have to share information, you know, for elders, we're losing elders, we're losing young people too, but we're losing elders, and, and the African proverb is when you lose an elder, you lose a library. So I think it's incumbent upon us to transfer the institutional knowledge and the wisdom that we have to the younger generation to really change the world, to continue to change the world. I feel like we're moving, we have moved backwards from a lot of the progress that we made because people have forgotten or they weren't taught the lessons that we learned. And so, but I also have to give props to the younger generation who has adapted new technology. And I'll, I'll cite a couple of instances in Boston when there was the major protest around George Floyd, um, I saw young people using Instagram and Twitter and Snapchat to organize and actually galvanize the protest. So um, I think it's incumbent, uh, incumbent upon us. If we like what's going on, then you do nothing. If you don't like what's going on, um, whether that's a political level or forming your own nonprofit or supporting another elected official or um, making a difference, showing up to school committee meetings. Tomorrow, there's actually a meeting in the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education around, you know, Desi's um, threat of receivership and taking over Boston Public Schools and the progress around that. There is also has started as of last week to, to this week, the working groups around redistricting the voting districts. And that's happening. That's open to the public. You can participate. You can actually testify. So I think, um, as human beings, if we want to make the world a better place, let's participate. Absolutely. Okay, I'm going to say goodbye because I'm looking at the clock and I don't want to take up all the time <laughs> for, for your other callers. But thank you so much. Thank you so much. And, and Barbara, you didn't talk about the, the, the documentary you're working on, but that's okay. We'll wait till it comes out. So thank you so much. Um, again, I want to reiterate November 8th. Actually, in some places, there's early voting going on. And if you have a mail-in ballot, you can mail in your vote. There's really no excuse on weighing in unless you're not registered, in which case you need to be registered and then informed. There are pamphlets and booklets that the uh, Election Commission puts out, City of Boston. You can Google it. Ah, I think we have the caller back. You can Google it and become a, uh, an educated active participate in the electoral process. Hello, give me your name and where you're calling from and your question and comment, please. Okay, I'm Cliff calling from Dorchester. Hi, Cliff. How are you doing? Okay. We like to talk about racism in this country, mm -hmm. but nobody talks about the, the, the tension between Latinos and African-Americans. Being a, a Latino man myself, 
I see the tension that Latinos have towards black, towards African Americans. Nobody talks about that. Everybody talks about black and white. Nobody talks about the tensions between Asians and African Americans. Nobody talks about the tensions between uh, Asians and, and Latinos. So it's not always about a black and white issue in this country. You know, our everything is failing our kids. The school system is failing our kids. The government is failing our kid, our our kids. Whatever happened to taking responsibility for our own actions? You know, these kids are dying, literally dying like dogs on the street, and there's nobody to help these kids. I, I mean, I'm not saying your generation, ma'am. I'm saying that the generations that came before all of us have failed us have failed us miserably. There was nobody to pick up the torch and say, this is how you do it, and you follow along. You can't even get certain elders in our community to teach these young people anything. Okay, so, um, because we're running down, I'm not trying to cut you off, but we're running Mm -hmm. down to the end of the program. Um, There are elders that are teaching. I think, you know, recently, and our prayers still go out to Dr. G. McGuire, 91 years old, who is the first black woman on the Boston School Committee, who was knifed in Franklin Park, taught us resilience because she fought back. And um, yes, you know, if you're gonna talk about Black Lives Matter, we gotta talk about black people killing black people and brown people killing black people. My brothers are on the West Coast. And so the conversations, depending on what the demographics are, I hear those conversations about, you know, the colorism in the Latino, community, uh, the animosity between the immigrants and the native-born people of color. So there are conversations happening like that. If you're in certain circles, you hear that. I'm in those circles, so I hear that, and I get to contribute to those conversations. I'm actually part of the Education Advisory Committee under City Councilor, City, City at Large Councilor Julia Mejia, who's Afro-Latina, she's Dominican. So I'm in those circles, and I do agree with you, those conversations need to be had. But we also need to, Boston, the thing about Boston is these little silos of these different communities. And we get, um, and, and COVID didn't help because we started becoming more segmented. And um, it's difficult opening up and having those conversations because you need a safe space. Um, just today, I read about some young people getting gunned down in St. Louis, and it was a black school. And it was, a, it was a, two schools that were achieving schools, one for science and and math and the other one for arts. And so, yes, we have to talk about that. We have to talk about the mental health in our community or the lack of um, available resources for mental health and the people of color or people who are culturally competent about what we need in our community. So I absolutely agree with you. I don't agree with you that nobody's talking about it. I don't think enough people are talking about it though, Cliff. So I really do appreciate your comment. And we will have, hopefully, You'll see some more shows, and we will be talking about that. I've actually talked to Ruby Reyes, um, who is uh, the executive director of Beja, and she's Chicano, Chicana. And she and I have had conversations about that and actually organizing some summits and some seminars about that. So I do really appreciate you. Thank you. I think we can get one more phone call in, like, really, really quickly. Um, your name and where you're calling from and your question and comment, please. My name is Anthony. I call for Wall Street. And Malcolm Mason once said the best way to hide something is to put it in the book. And also, when it comes to education, over a century ago, 
black people taught ourselves our own history pre-integration. Huh? When integration hit, it just destroyed our own education because we bought into the lies and stereotypes and everything else that the that the that the public that the public schools initiate in our kids. So that's one of the reasons why our kids the the system is failing us today. Yeah? I do agree with you. We've unfortunately run out of time. Next time I'm gonna have to open up the phone sooner. I appreciate you, and I appreciate everybody that's tuned in tonight and sees what's going on. Um, Holler back, holler out. This has been On Another Level. I'm your host, Sharon Hinton. Please go check out Joe Turner's Come and Gone. Hopefully I'll see you at one of these Wakanda Forever kind of movie premieres. If you see me on the street, stop and talk to me. I love talking to people, my people, every people, human beings are my people, um, and support the Boston Media Producers Group and BNN Media here on BNN TV. I'm your host, Sharon Hinton. God bless you. Take care of each other and yourself. I have a problem every year around MLK Day because Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. for some reason has been treated as America's civil rights mascot. On this day, you'll have folks who would have never in their life marched with, agreed with, voted with anything he believed in. One of the biggest bigots in the United States Congress, he had the audacity to send out a Dr. King quote. The march has begun every day. We rise like the sun. We fight till the battle is won. Can you hear the footsteps? Listen, because we're coming like a gang on the street. So you better start running. It's time for some action. The preceding commentary does not reflect the views of the staff and management of WBCA or the Boston Neighborhood Network. If you would like to express another opinion, you can address your comments to the Boston Neighborhood Network at 3025 Washington Street, Boston, Mass. 02119, attention WBCALP 102.9 FM. If you would like to arrange a time for your own commentary, call WBCA at 617 708 3241 or email us at radio at bnntv.org.